Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Dahlia. Dahlia is uh, an extremely interesting person who has some really insightful opinions about the Souls games and um, some interesting experiences with them. I want to put up a a content warning at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, She gets into her long-term recovery and addiction stories and how that relates to the Souls games, Bloodborne specifically. Um, She talks about her heroin addiction and and things like that. So if you're not comfortable hearing about those things, then definitely watch out. But uh, I think that it's a great episode. So without further ado, please enjoy. Um, I had been aware of the Souls series for quite a, like, you know, a good amount of time. Like, I remember seeing, like, the trailer for Demon Souls and stuff like that. Um, and I kind of, I, ironically, I stayed away from them for, like, a decent amount of time because I had this perception um, that they were just, like, hard for the sake of being hard games. So, you know... And I just kind of stayed away from games like that. You know, like I was never really into like Super Meat Boy and stuff like that. Cause I was like, oh, this is, this is just too hard. This is to frustrate me. But then I saw a trailer for Bloodborne. And ever since I was like, you know, I've always been into like dark, spooky stuff, even as like a kid. Like I, as a young kid, I grew up watching like Beetlejuice and like Nightmare Before Christmas. So uh, I saw the trailer for that and I got it. And I didn't realize at first that it was the Souls game. And when I found it, it was really hard. Like I was like, ugh. it was like frustrating at first, but like I wanted to know like what's happening. Like there was just something like I need to find answers, and I really like this game. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it was a conscious effort to be like, I'm going to get good at this game because I want to see this to the end. It looks really cool. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, what kind of games I, were you uh, playing at the time? Like what you obviously had a PS4. Like what what, what other kind of stuff you were playing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of like, I like RPGs, fantasy games. Um, like I kind of play a little bit of everything, but, um, excuse me. Um, I also like, I'm a big fan of like survival horror games. I've been playing like Resident Evil since I was a kid. Um, so it was, it was very much up my alley. Um, but you know, I heard all like the, uh, the, the rumors of like, oh, this game's like really hard and stuff like that. So that kind of kept me away. And then Bloodborne, like it tricked me. Like I always say like Bloodborne tricked me into playing a Souls game. And then I was like, <laughs> oh shit. Damn. Now I like these. I wasn't planning for that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I want more of this. I need to get more of this. This is really good. <laughs> what was that? Uh, so, what was that kind of first experience when you booted up Bloodborne for the first time and kind of coming to terms with the, the controls and everything else? Was that, was that something that was difficult? Um, the controls actually, uh, they weren't too bad. It was, um, like, I remember my first time through, it was like really frustrating just getting down that first street, um, which I, I always hear people talk about because like that first street is kind of a doozy, especially if you've never played a Souls game before. And I remember just like getting so frustrated and being like, oh, I just like lost all these blood echoes. Like I'm never going to be able to like level up or anything. And uh, you know, learning the rhythm thing, but you know, when I beat like the cleric beast for the first time and then eventually Gascoigne, I got that like gratification, the feeling where I was like, Oh my gosh, 
I just beat it. And like, I felt like I really earned it. And like, you know, it took several tries and like, I play the game a lot now and I go through it so much quicker, but like, it took me, it took me a few months to like actually get through the game. Uh, so it was, it was really cool. You know, it definitely like, I felt like I earned the boss fights, you know, I mean, it always feels good to beat a boss in a video game, but like, this actually felt like I was like achieving something of like worth. Sure. Yeah. And <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, I also just really love like the grotesque look of monsters and stuff, which is like the horror love in me and stuff like that. So it was, it was definitely really cool when I finally started getting the hang of it. Cause I was like, this is actually a really cool game. And like, I'm like, was really glad that I pushed myself to get through it. You mentioned uh, being kind of drawn in by the story and wanted to find out what was going on and what would it exactly what's happening in this world. Did you pick up on like the item descriptions and the the little lore driblets in the in the in the world itself and kind of start putting that together, or did that come later? Um, I kind of picked up on it because I had like I had just very passively like because I remember really liking some of the marketing imagery for like Demon Souls, mm-hmm. so I kind of like knew to like pay attention to that stuff, and it was it was very interesting, uh, you know going through that stuff because it was like every time I picked something up, I was like, well, what does this say? And what does this say? And I really like it because, uh, you know, I played other games where the story was trying to be, well, not necessarily be like Dark Souls, but do the same thing. Like, uh, and it's not a bad game, but like Dragon's Dogma, like I felt like in that game, I was going, I never beat it to be fair, but that's because I just kept creating a bunch of characters. Um, because uh, I'm an artist, so like I like to do like original characters and stuff, so I kept trying to make all of them. So I never got very far in it, but while I was playing it, I like I knew like the barest bones of like what the story was and like, you know, that there was something I you know, a vague goal I was trying to accomplish. But for the most part I felt really lost in that game and I didn't really know where I was going. But with Bloodborne, there were the item descriptions and they made sense and also the way the world is connected. You know, it it doesn't ever feel like I've hit an invisible wall or anything. Um, You know, I I felt like I was, you know, in a very organic forward path. You know, I wasn't like, you know, there were moments where I was like, uh, sure, if I was doing something wrong or not, or like, you know, but that was mostly like just fighting, like I need to change up my tactics. But it was really interesting because... I just never really thought you could tell a very deep story like that. And I'm so, I'm like very pleased to be like very wrong about that. <laughs> um, Cause I, I really love the story of Bloodborne and I like the vagueness and, you know, just that ominous atmosphere and stuff like that. And it also, you know, it answered certain questions, but it left enough open where a, you could like fill in the blanks of what you like and stuff like that or nothing. <laughs> I should say fill in the blanks of what's kind of broadly going on, but also B, it doesn't tell you too much. So you're still intrigued to keep going. You're never like, oh, these people are hunting you down because they've, you know, they're all afraid of foreigners and they think that that's where the blood, you know, that's where the scourge of the beast comes from, even though that's not. But uh, I really like that. And it, it felt like I was both having to earn the story and move forward in the game. And it was never, you know, and I say earn the story, like it wasn't like prohibitively vague. I really enjoyed it. But it was something you had to, you had to bring something to in order to, to yeah. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it required me to do some critical thinking and I actually really liked that. Like it, it challenged me in a very fulfilling way. 
I'm curious. Um, you mentioned creating like original characters, OCs and whatnot. Is that something that you do in Bloodborne as well? Because I know a lot of people that, um, and I'm guilty of this well, like they'll spend an hour and a half, two hours in the character creator <laughs> and then never actually play the game. They just have the perfect face. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've created a couple with Bloodborne, um, but just the general settings I write in, a lot of my characters don't fit too crazy into Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. I will say, however, um, when the Old Hunters DLC came out, I saw Lady Maria and I was like, I need to make a Lady Maria build. And, you know, I didn't have like a, a clear reference or a face or anything, but I spent a long time like making sure she like had the right aristocratic look and had, you know, the closest I could get her hair and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I also spend quite a bit of time really creating characters that are very unique to the world, uh, both just to like diversify because, for me, I've had the same like main core group of characters I've been writing since I was in like you know middle of high school, I think. Oh wow! Okay. So yeah, yeah. So some of my characters I've had for quite a long time, uh, but I like you know I remember going through and my uh, my Lady Maria character was kind of ridiculous for a little while because I was just like she's dressed like a doll for half of it. And then she's got like part of the night set and like, she's just running around with like, you know, like the night bottoms and then like the dolls, like petty or like whatever that shawl thing is. And like, she's got this hat and like on my YouTube channel, I posted a video of her running into Maria and it's like, she looks kind of ridiculous. I was like, I mean, it was a look for sure. Like that was a look. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I like, and, um, you know, as much as I like the um, like the dress up aspect of Bloodborne, I kind of like the dress down aspect of it. Uh, pe- people that listen to the yeah. podcast know that like some of my favorite clothes in the game are the sweaty clothes and like the real shitty hat yeah. that you can get. And I, I don't know what I don't know why, <laughs> but it's just really funny to me to have like pedestrian ass like dude hunters right. going through and slaughtering beasts. Like you know, there, there's a guy that probably like you know used to farm for a living and then got into yar hall ghoul somehow and now he's here just you know trying to get by <laughs> cracks me up for i him. was just trying to sell my goats what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> yeah this is look my son told me about a new place with good goat prices but i don't think that this trip is worth it <clears throat> like damn you people are crazy not one person will tell me how much i can get for this fucking goat like what the hell is going on holy shit what did the sky just puke out oh my god <laughs> how do i get out of here he goes back right he goes back to like his farmstead and his wife's like so you were gone for a while uh did you get a good price for the goat I don't even remember where I parked the goat. Yeah, let's not even talk about the goat anymore. I think the goat is a breedist now, and I don't want to explain what that is. Yeah, the goat, the goat started like whispering secrets to me, and I we're not going back to Yarnum anymore. We need to move. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually I really did like the sweaty uh, vest for a while too. Uh, I'm a big fan of like vests and stuff like that, and. I don't remember what game I was playing. I, I think it was just generally for the aesthetic, but for a while I did have some very like just very mundane looking characters. You know, like I had a character like the only like with the Yahar girl hood thing. The mm-hmm. only, like I am like very particular about like things lining up. Like it really bothers me when I wear certain armor and like there's all that extra like hangover on that hood. So I did have like, I don't really know what I was going for with the look. I think I was just trying to be like, 
oh, this chick is kicking your ass in like some fancy gown or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so like the doll top, it actually lines up really well with the hood. And it's like I built an entire outfit just so I could wear a hood. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. That's worth it. Though. Yeah, like sometimes you like, see sometimes you see that one piece of armor or clothing or whatever. And you're like, OK, this is going to be the centerpiece of which I build around. <laughs> oh, yeah. I absolutely do that all the time. Like mostly in the souls games um but you know that i am 100 percent that type of person like i am that girl who's like i am gonna make this work and everyone's <laughs> like it's got terrible damage resistance like i don't care do not care yeah i'm I not here go, to min max <laughs> right like i just go flying into the battle in the most ridiculous outfit ever just because when the victory is had and i'm like upon like mountain of corpses i look really good in my finery <laughs> Can't, can't kill evil if you ain't cute is uh, the the common expression right oh, I like yeah that. like get on my aesthetic level please <laughs> i'm uh i'm curious you said it took you a couple of months to uh finish the game out did uh at that time like once the, once you got to the end and you, you finished you beat the boss like what was that feeling like did you immediately want to go back into it did you immediately want to go find uh more things about it on the internet like what was that what was that kind of emotion that you were feeling when you finished Bloodborne for the first time i um it was actually a bit of both uh i did a bit of both um but for me i immediately wanted to go back and find more stuff because i knew i hadn't uh gone through it all and there was also a couple bosses uh that i just was not prepared for whatsoever and like i eventually gave up on them for a little while particularly Briatus, like I actually uh, didn't beat her for a while. Like it was actually more recent development that I was able to beat Briatus. And now she's like, I don't understand why I had such a hard time with her, but <laughs> for whatever reason I did. So, you know, I immediately went back and I also like, I remember realizing that like this game, like there's something really special about this game. Like this story is really interesting. It, it didn't really fall into like the major cliches of like, Oh, you saved the day. Like, I mean, kind of like, I mean, I was aware of the, uh, the like rebirth ending or whatever. So I made sure to get the three chords because I was like, some people are like, well, it's actually the bad ending that that happens. And I, you know, there's, you know, you can kind of debate like what the good or bad ending really is if there is one. And I was like, well, if I was in this situation and I just went through all of this shit, I'd rather not wake up the next day and be like, well, that was weird. Um, I would much rather want to move forward. So I was like, you know, I was like, I very much was like, well, I'm going to move forward in, you know, trying to progress like humanity as a race, or at least my character and herself. And I also like, was really a big fan of like when the Lovecraftian stuff showed up because I was not aware of it. You know, I think they did a brilliant job in the marketing, by keeping that secret. What a great, and, uh, what a, just a great thing that they did with that because it feels like, Everybody that I've talked to, most people that I've talked to that came to Bloodborne and like when it was released had no clue. And that is such a significant turn. Like by the time you get to Bergenworth and you start seeing the, with the Garden of Eyes and the weird, I can't remember what the the giant thing that spits cubes of fire at you and then Rom and all of that stuff. Like, like it just, it takes such a turn. And then obviously you get like teleported to Yarhargul and shit just goes nuts. It's and I feel like right. today and they would just like be all over themselves to spit all of that out, right? Like they would just want to show you all of oh, that yeah. up front. Oh yeah, and like that's actually that's actually something um, that I'm like really excited for, like Resident Evil Two, the remake, because that was like that was the Resident Evil I played all the time as a kid. 
Um, not crazy that they keep showing a bunch of stuff of it. I mean, that said, I've played that game forward and backwards, so this isn't new to me, but I would like to get the surprise of like when the liquor jumps down from the ceiling. But at the same time, I want to see it. So like, I wish that they would hold back on that a little bit. Like, I get it's not a mainline title, so it looks great, but I also feel like they're not concerned. Um, but for me, I uh, it's it was actually really well-timed because for a majority of growing up and stuff like that, I was not really ever aware of Lovecraft until I uh, started reading, like, ironically, it was, um, it was Homestuck that kind of introduced me to this uh, idea of Lovecraft. And uh, I went to, like, an anime convention, and there was, like, a horror panel, and they talked about it, and that was, like, my real introduction to it. Uh, so I was, like, really, really into, like, Lovecraftian, like, imagery, the ideas and stuff like that. So, like, I was elated when all this weird, like, cerebral, like, the future of humanity. And, like, oh, the future of humanity looks rough. But, like, that's probably <laughs> how it would be. Everyone's like, bring the aliens. And then, you know, the aliens come down and they look like a Breedus. And they're like, oh, take them back. Take them back. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was really brilliant because, I mean, I love the gothic horror aesthetic, but that really i feel like that was a really big turning point like the people making this game they knew what they were doing they were executing it like extremely well because uh, like bloodborne is still one of the best examples of a proper way of telling a lovecraftian story as far as because a lot of even like uh, not the latest call of cthulhu game but the one that came out a while ago uh, like there was like you know, the whole idea of, like, being able to, like, gun down Dagon or something like that, like, that's, that's ridiculous in sure. terms of, like, the stories. Yeah. Like, you would not be able to do that. And Bloodborne, like, sure, you do beat great ones, but it it's not in the same way. You know, it's not like this big action set piece. It's very much tied to you personally in your very unique circumstances. And, you know, the only way you can really survive the encounter is to either replace German, uh, wake up and forget everything to a certain degree, or, you know, evolve and become something else. Like there's no real way to like go back to your normal life after that, at least not without completely forgetting it. And for me, um, personally with my path and stuff like that, you know, I find that our pasts, you know, even like, especially if you make mistakes, because I think making mistakes is a big part of, you know, life and learning things. If you forget all that, then all the experience and knowledge and growth that you make, you lose immediately if you forget it. And if I was to go through something like that, as horrifying as being in that situation, like literally being there would be, I wouldn't want to forget it because it's like you get to see the truth for like 12 seconds and then you forget it. And like, I would, you know, I would rather not like, I'm also a big fan of like, I want an ugly truth over a beautiful lie. So the idea of like, because I don't think the hunter forgets everything with like examples of like uh, Jura and Eileen who clearly are not, uh, they're not in the dream. They're not great ones. So clearly they woke up and they didn't forget everything, but I, I get the feeling that it probably is like when you wake up from a dream, you can remember bits and pieces, but it gets very vague and fuzzy. Yeah. It's interesting that those hunters um, still have some sort of connection to their previous lives and, 
or still have something connecting them back to that, even if uh, you know it's it's maybe mutated or, or twisted in some some weird way. And it makes me wonder, like, does that happen over the course of the game to my own hunter? Like, is that happening to me as I as I you know make my way through the more and more terrifying monsters and landscapes? I've I've always kind of been curious about that. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, the way that I see it, it really, like, because there, there are, you know, I, I'm on antidepressants and the side effect of that medication is I have very vivid dreams, which also means very vivid nightmares. And I'll be in a moment, you know, or I'll wake up and I've had like a terrible nightmare or whatever, but I'll forget it. And then there are some that like really stick with you. I can't remember all the nuanced aspects of it, but I do remember bits and pieces of it. And those like kind of are always there. Those are really like burned into my memory. Uh, so for me, it, I, I, that's my explanation. Um, cause I, it, that's, cause my thing is with Bloodborne, I find that like my, my perception of what's happening in the game changes, not constantly, but it, it's, it's always kind of changing and evolving. Like the way I perceived the story when I first beat the game is not how I perceive it now you know, talking through with uh, Richard, with JSF and like all the stuff that Lance has found and like through, you know, understanding the intention of certain words. Uh, and like once we've translated it, we find that like, you know, particularly with like Master Willem, that the note that they find that you find in after you beat Gascoigne that says uh, the, uh, you know, the spider hides our master from us. Uh, when I first played the game, you know, I assumed that they were talking about Master Willem. But having heard the translations and in Japanese, they very specifically, the only character that's ever really uh, referred to as Master is Megalash. And they call, like, you know, Willem, like, Professor or something like that. And, I mean, that was a big thing for me because I... I mean, I still don't, I mean, I, I feel like I understand the whole thing with Ram as well as I'm ever going to, but I remember thinking that like, I thought that that note was them talking about Ram, like had sort of like glamored or infatuated Willem to a point where he couldn't function anymore. Because I mean, when we see him, he's not really functioning. He just <laughs> points a stick. He's like, go kill the spider uh, before the ethics committee gets here and takes away our funding. <laughs> It's like, well, I mean, if the ethics committee shows up, you are so losing your funding. I heard if you show up um, with a goat, he shakes his finger at you. He's like, no, 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 and just points the stick afterwards. <laughs> this guy's just like, <laughs> just seeing this farmer carrying this goat under his arm the whole time. <laughs> just like, I need someone to buy this thing off of me, goddammit. <laughs> um, but uh, now that I understand that, because I mean, the, the thing I did never really have a clear understanding is whether or not, like, the school of Mensis was benefiting from Rom being around, or if Rom was a like a roadblock, like preventing them to achieve whatever they were trying to achieve. Uh, but I've, you know, I feel like that that was kind of a big breakthrough for me because it it's one of those things that it's it gets lost in trans. It literally gets lost in translation a little bit because you know. It, it's not easy to translate English to Japanese. I mean, I don't know personally, but everyone I've talked to says that learning Japanese from English is one of the hardest languages to learn. And, you know, depending on if it's in kanji or uh, whatever, it, you know, there are nuances that are lost just in the way that it's spelt, that there's no real way to translate that into English. 
So for me, you know, is, you know, cause I mean, I think that there are times when you translate something and it's like, well, mm-hmm. there's nothing really to that, you know? Um, but other times I do feel like we do get actual like meaningful understanding in the story. And for me, that was one of them because I always, always thought that like, you know, the reason that Bergamoth kind of fell apart was because, and this was before obviously the old hunters came out, but because the old hunters, I feel like answers questions as to why Bergamoth isn't really a thing anymore. But I always kind of thought like, Oh, you know, Rom happened and like, he just got really obsessed with Rom and that was it. But now I understand that Willem, as much as he's not a very chatty guy, I I definitely feel like Willem is aware of what's happening around him and is not like infatuated with this, you know, this uh, arguably uh, this failure to attempt to be a great one. And it makes more sense in relation to like what Mensis is doing and, you know, the presence of, you know, choir members trying to get like garb from Mensis relating to like Edgar being like an infiltrator and uh, Yuri or Yuri or whatever her name is, the choir member in Bergenworth. I, I believe that she's trying to do the same thing. She's trying to get the garb so that way she can infiltrate the nightmare. Um, and then being able to summon Damien for that fight, you know, and Damien is kind of like the thing that tells me like, that's kind of the thing that makes me lean towards that it's preventing Mensis from doing something. Otherwise, why would, you know, why would, or I don't know if it's Damien or if it's another uh, Mensis member, but, you know, why would Mensis send one of their people to go kill Rom if it's like hiding what they're doing? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, things like that I find like incredibly interesting because. You know, it's not a game that I was able to just put down. I mean, I couldn't forget about it if I wanted to, because like as much as there are like a ton of games that are like, oh, this is like Souls like, you know, or whatever. Um, I find that I'm the only ones that ever actually satisfy that need to play a Souls game or a uh, you know, a FromSoft game is from FromSoft. You know, uh, the only game I've ever because I've played quite a few Souls like and the only one that I really enjoyed was Hollow Knight, and for me I don't even necessarily feel it's that much like a Souls-like, but it, it's capturing that kind of essence of a vague story, you know, with hard boss fights and stuff, and I like it. But as far as, like, actually scratching that itch of, like, I want to play a Soulsborne game, it's got to be a Soulsborne game. Otherwise, it's just kind of like, eh, eh. <laughs> yeah, most of the um, quote-unquote Souls-likes, I think, take one or two aspects from dark souls or from bloodborne and uh, a lot of times it's the combat um sometimes it's the like kind of the level design with the shortcuts but they f- very rarely get all of it right um thinking something like salt and sanctuary which was until recently like my favorite quote-unquote souls like where they just kept looping the level design back even though it was kind of useless to do so uh, like there was it, it, very very late in that game you start opening shortcuts back to early parts which is cool but it's a shortcut that I'll never use, so it lacks that meaningful, that powerful, like "oh, I'm here again" kind of kind of moment, which I think that shortcuts right. that, that that dopamine squirt that that short, those shortcuts kind of give you. Um, the I only say most recently because uh, I've been playing this game called Immortal Unchained, and uh, if you haven't, go, mm-hmm. go 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 check that out a little bit. It's souls with guns, and it's not. It's kind of a. Uh, like a double A instead of a triple A. So it's kind of like some of that from software polish, but it's got a very similar like level design ethos. And uh, all of the, the lore is kind of interesting and, and, and kind of fascinating. So something to check out if, if you ever get the time. <clears throat> yeah. 
I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, um, I actually played a little bit of Salt in the Sanctuary. Uh, I didn't get too into it uh, because I do remember one of the first shortcuts to come back somewhere early on, and I was like, this is cool, but I didn't want to, like, I find with it's, it, Hollow Knight really is an outlier for me because normally I'm not into, like, 2D. Like, I played Castlevania when I was younger, and I haven't played it for a while. But it, I tried to get into a lot of, like, 2D scrolling, uh, like, indie games for a while. And for some reason, a lot of them don't really grab me. I will say I did actually really like the Salt and Sanctuary uh, art design. It, it kind of actually reminded me of, like, Gaia Online a little bit from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember running around with a pumpkin on my head, and I was like, yes, the Halloween is spooky. <laughs> um, I didn't play it too much, though. I did feel like I was running into, like, a lot of bosses. And I don't know if that changes, but I also I felt like there was, like, maybe... I mean, I didn't have a problem with, like, a lot of bosses, but... It felt like I was running into one like all the time, but I honestly haven't played it enough to really have any critique for that game. But I got into it for a little bit, but the only one that I've ever really gotten into was Sad Bugs, the video game. Sad Bugs. And that is Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight, yeah. <clears throat> I um yeah. I was actually I actually started Hollow Knight right before Immortal Unchained and that's the only reason I haven't gone back to, to Hollow Knight yet is because I just I got kind of sucked into uh, Immortal Unchained so I just kind of kept going with that. Yeah. I very much want to get back to to Hollow Knight like that art style is just gorgeous. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I found and that was something that I I realized that helped me realize like oh I really like this game because I um I work midnights I'm a security guard and I work midnights so it's a, you know a lot of downtime I don't have much to do so. I'm usually just watching YouTube videos or listening to podcasts. And I felt myself, I kept drawing these characters and I would draw some of the characters. And I also, I really had a fun time coming out with my own like original characters because that's, I normally draw like, uh, like regular like people. And it was this vaguely humanoid kind of characters that have like these bug aesthetics. And I was like, this is really cool. And like, I I haven't drawn any in a while, but like for a long time I was drawing like these, these little like scenery because I was like, I wasn't really trying to come up with a story because I'm just, you know, sitting around bored. But I had these like vaguely connected like sections. Like most of it was like I would just come up with some boss design and like I would have like a couple characters like fighting this boss all at one time. And a lot of it was like original characters. But so it was like it was really cool because there were characters that like, oh, I want to draw like in the game. But it also inspired me to like uh, kind of utilize different shapes and like, you know, bug aspects. And that's something I would never have done before just because, you know, I normally, I draw people and, and, you know, there's not too much variant in how a person really looks. I mean, there is in reality, but, you know, when I'm drawing little, like, characters, it's it's not. Yeah. You know, everyone's got four arms and a head, whereas with, like, the bugs, you know, if one's, like, a mantis, you know, they've got all this extra stuff, and that was that was really cool for me. And I was talking to um, uh, the Memetin, who he's, he shows up on streams, too, and, um, and he, I was like, I can't stop drawing and thinking about these sad little bugs. He's like, is that a bad thing? And I was like, well, no. And he's like, well, then keep doing it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to draw more sad bugs. <laughs> you got to go where the inspiration takes you, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and, like, that was the one time that, like, it has element. It, like, it very clearly has inspirations from the Souls games. But it doesn't feel like it's limiting the game. Like, I've played some Souls games, or some Souls likes, where they're trying so hard to be like a Souls game, and they're not doing it well, and they're not allowing themselves to, like, 
iterate on enough. Like they're not allowing themselves to sort of, I don't know, really take full advantage of what they have. And it's, you know, instead of them making a really good game that's inspired by souls, or inspires by souls, they're making a subpar game that is limiting itself by putting all these like restrictions on it. And Hollow Knight, uh, I mean, obviously, and I find like a lot of them are like 2D scrollers, which is fine. Because obviously, I mean, Dark Souls it's from in and of itself has, you know, that non-linear design from, you know, Metroidvania games. So it's not necessarily, so it, you know, it's not necessarily a stretch to be like, well, let's make a Metroidvania type game inspired by the Souls. I mean, that's, you know, I feel like that's a reasonable sort of a, conclusion to come to Mm -hmm. and uh and i find with like hollow knight it it does enough of its own that is uniquely its own that the stuff it's taking from souls are they're very complementary but it's not restricting you know particularly because it's a 2d scroller they can't really try to make themselves uh yeah i mean they actually do a pretty good job of like you know getting the timing and dashing and stuff like that you know, but the attacks, you know, they don't they don't really have like a long wind up or anything like that. You know, uh, the attacks are really quick and rapid, which feels a little bit more like Bloodborne, which I enjoy. But, you know, there's not so much that momentum involved, which I've seen with like some games where like they're trying to get that heavy momentous weight. And it's like, you know, like Lords of the Fallen or whatever, like it's so slow. I want to die. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I like, can I could never like, finish it. So don't don't feel bad. Yeah, I actually, uh, my sister's boyfriend, well, uh, ex-boyfriend, excuse me, uh, tried to tell me, like, oh, you should play this game, it's really cool, and, like, hard and stuff, and, like, I was already playing the Souls games, and I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I, like, played it once, and I was like, it was just, re- com- like, confirming my own bias, and I was like, yeah, no, this is, like, that's probably the worst example I can think of, or rather, best example of a bad Souls-like. Sure. Um, I mean, if you like the game, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. But as far as, like, mechanically speaking, uh, it just does not live up to what it's clearly trying to capitalize on. I, I would agree with that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, with Hollow Knight, it's, you know, it's bright, but it's still, like, you know, it, it's not like a super oppressive atmosphere, uh, which I kind of like. But it also very much captures, like, <laughs> it's another world where you show up five years late with a Starbucks. Um, <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to say it's pretty much like I was talking to Richie, uh, Richard Jaza, um today, and I was just talking about like, you know, we were just talking about like Willem and stuff like that, and one of his early designs, how he was actually going to be kind of cognitive. And I was just talking about like I kind of get it. I was like, wouldn't have minded if Willem, you know, was a little bit more there. But I get it. It's a Souls game where you show up five out five years late with a Starbucks. Um, did you uh after after you kind of after you finished up Bloodborne? Did you ever go back and play the Dark Souls one or Demon Souls or any of that? Oh yeah. Which yes. where, where did you go um, next? I the first game I bought because at the same time the Scholar of the First uh, Sin version of Dark Souls two was out. And I played that. So that was my first, like, official, like, technical Dark Souls game. And I really like that game. Um, and, you know, I've talked to Richard about this before. Because, honestly, uh, 
and it's too complicated for me to really explain it, but it, you know, if it was to be a standalone game, because I mean, a lot of, like when you try and connect like one and two and three together, it's always kind of like two becomes this hard thing to connect everything to. Um, but I really like the game and I feel like it would have been better off if they had called it like Dragon Souls instead and let it be a standalone thing. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've said that exact sentence. Like this should be called Dragon Souls on this podcast. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of criticism comes from it. Like it, you know, it's, we don't know where it's taking place. We don't know when it's taking place. The way it kind of refers to characters from the first Dark Souls game is like, well, that's ancient history. And I feel like that game really would have just been better off being its own game because for me, you know, especially at the time, I noticed that like people are less critical of two now, which I'm glad because two is a good game, you know, especially for not having Miyazaki directing it. It's, you know, it, it goes to show that like Miyazaki is not all that from Sakura. It's like obviously it's a huge team of people. And, um, and I mean, it has its problems, like, you know, the elevator in the sky that's not there, and then suddenly you're on a mountain. But, um, you know, I you know, I got into that game particularly when people weren't crazy about it. And for me, I didn't have a frame of reference. You know, I hadn't played Dark Souls 1 yet. Uh, I hadn't played Demon Souls. And Bloodborne, I knew, was obviously it, it's its own monster. Uh, so for me, I really enjoyed it. And it, you know, further cemented that, like, I, uh, I really want to you know, I want to play these games. And I remember beating the, uh, the giant, the giant tree dude. Mm-hmm. I remember even having like, I don't know if I had beaten Bloodborne by that point, but at least getting through a major point of Bloodborne. I remember like actually getting a proper Dark Souls game. And I was like really prepared for this big ass tree dude to just kick my shit. And when I was able to kill him, I was like, oh shit. I was like, okay, <laughs> on to the next one. Uh, because... I do feel like Bloodborne really taught me, like, there's no right way to play a Souls game, but I, and a lot of people have made, like, video essays about it, but I feel like Bloodborne teaches you how to play a Souls game without hiding behind a shield. Yeah. Because for me, that was something that kind of put me off, because I was, because I'm, the type of characters I like to make, I, you know, if I play a warrior type, I'm the one with, like, the big fuck-off berserk sword, you know, not the one that has a shield. Uh, So... So like I was really uh, I was really happy because uh, I didn't have a problem enjoying you know playing Dark Souls because instead of like trying to block or tank hits I was dodging around them and stuff like that which I you know Bloodborne tricking me in playing Souls games was like the best possible like in my opinion the best way for me to get into the series because it taught me dash around and all this stuff and be reactionary and also kind of be aggressive. And then after, you know, I really liked uh, Dark Souls 2, even though I've honest, I've never beaten, like, the vast majority of the DLC for that game. Uh, and I, I do love that game, especially the hexes. I love, you know, for me personally, because um, I am a practicing witch, I really love the hexes and, like, the dark, like, you know, the dark magic spells and stuff like that. And I was like, this is my jam. Got my spooky <laughs> witch sword lady, and she's like... I'm gonna be the agent of darkness, and everyone's like, "No, oh, keep the fire alive." And I'm like, oh, "Fuck you!" <laughs> that I really yeah. like that too. I love the hexes in, in Dark Souls too. Like I remember that, oh, that yeah. concept was really appealing to me. Like I just I wanted to be like a dirty ass sorcerer. I was just into it. Oh yeah, yeah, I loved it. And 
I also, it wasn't something I did in Bloodborne, but I have a tendency when I'm playing RPGs, particularly, obviously, if they're open world, because uh, I also have been into the open Trolls games since I was in middle school. I remember playing, like, I remember when Morrowind was the only one that was out at the time, and I had played it quite a lot with my sister. My sister got me in the series. And when you're playing those games, you know, because you can literally pick up anything that's not nailed down, I kind of developed this homicidal tendency that if somebody was wearing a cool outfit, I would I would just kill them. Like, give me your clothes, bitch! <laughs> um, and I very much continued to do that in uh, Dark Souls 2. I didn't do it in Bloodborne just because, you know, it was really not a necessity. Um, but I did kill Eileen, uh, one, of, one of my first builds, so that way I could get her outfit. And I still feel <laughs> bad about it, though. Like, I don't like beating up Crow Grandma. That's like, okay. I've never actually, yeah, I've never actually gone through her, like, her, like, her, like, sub-story where you don't do her missions, mm-hmm. um, because I'm like, I can't, I can't fuck up programma. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so Dark Souls 2, like, if I was ever able to load my, like, original character, like, the first one I played, there was a lot of tombstones. Like, I even killed the Emerald Herald to get that stupid feather early. <laughs> so, like, every time I went to level, and that really came back to bite me in the ass, too, because every time I needed to level up, I had to get, like, extra change. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> Gotta go talk to the dead chick. Um, I had totally forgotten about that feather. I, I I just put it out of my mind altogether. That's hilarious. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's hilarious because, like, eventually that kind of, they kind of been something I, because, I mean, I have a dark sense of humor anyways. I, I like, I like laughing at fucked up shit, both because I've been through a lot of shit. Uh, and the Souls game has actually helped me uh, get through a lot of hard times that I don't know if I would have been able to. But, you know, I, in, in like, Avion streams and, like, in the community, I kind of have this, like, this persona of like everyone's like you know i live up to my name like i especially when i was playing like dark souls 3 like i just i kill people want on like whatever reason like oh you've got a cute dress you have to die <laughs> um, like with lysia of lindell i just remember like i recently tried when i was playing through two again i tried to kill her and i let her spawn and the the, the turn style and that was a mistake because the first time i killed her she fell off the map and I could not kill her again when I played it again. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm curious. You mentioned that um, Souls games kind of got you through some hard times. Is that the is that just the, the game's kind of ability to let yourself lose yourself in the world? Or is there is there something else that kind of pulled you through those times that, the, that only the Souls games can provide? Well, um, for me, uh, and I'm going to get into my past a little bit, but uh, what the Souls game taught me is that I shouldn't be adverse to going through hardship because I actually, um, I'm actually living in long-term recovery to a, a drug addiction that I had. I spent about a year where I was actually addicted to heroin and playing those games actually gave me the strength to do the hard thing and to choose life over, you know, I mean, I wasn't living, you know, I was, I was waiting to die and I decided that that is not how I wanted my story to end. Um, and I actually disappeared from the lore community for that year um, while I was using. Um, but being able to come back and, you know, after everything that I went through and everything I had to do to get clean and stay clean, I am 
I feel like a so I'm so much of a better person than I was even before I was in it, even before I was messing around with the drugs, because I saw what happened when I avoided, you know, my, um, when I avoided my responsibilities and when I tried to run away from my problem and, you know, and I remembered that I had this amazing game series that taught me that running away from adversity and hardship is not how you move forward. I have to fight it head on and get in its face and, you know, say, no, you're not going to be me. Like, you know, I might have to smack my head against the wall a thousand times, but I'm going to keep coming back knowing that eventually like the wall is going to crack before me. And then that got kind of heavy, but that was, that was something really important for me. Um, you know, it, it helped save my life because before I was always really adverse to putting myself in situations where I was uncomfortable. I, you know, I had suffered through depression and stuff like that. When I was in middle school and high school and stuff, I had a lot of hard time with my grades. And, you know, that was sort of like, you know, obviously addiction is a very hard thing. I was very lucky that I was able to want to get better. You know, I didn't want to live like that anymore. And uh, being able to make the decision to get help and to do something that wasn't easy but was going to change my life in ways that I, I, you know, I had no way of knowing the uh, amount of change in a positive. I mean, I would say I would not like do not go get a drug addiction to like make yourself a better person. Like it doesn't work like that. No, no. um, But having gone through that, I'm not ashamed of my past. You know, I'm not using anymore. I'm not doing that. And I learned from that. And I learned that that's not who I want to be. I don't want that to be my life. And, you know, Dark Souls really taught me that, you know, you can't run from your problems. You can't, no matter how scary and how overbearing, you know, a boss might be or a problem in your life is, the only way to get past it is to go through it. Um, So, I mean, obviously video games give me an escape, but, it actually taught me more so than trying to run away from my problems that I need to run towards my problem. So yeah, that was, that was a big part of like what Dark Souls gave me. Um, and hopefully, you know, one day I'll be able to like, you know, in a dream world, I'd love to get to meet Miyazaki and thank him for like teaching me, you know, the tools and like skills uh, in a very roundabout way that would eventually allow me to save my own life. Is it difficult with that kind of emotional connection to these games? Is it difficult playing through the games now? Um, does that does it bring any of that emotion out, or is it all kind of a positive feeling of reinforcement? It's it's a positive re- uh, feeling of reinforcement um, because for me, when I think back of when I was using, I I don't get the desire to use uh, because I had really reached a point where, you know, I there was just there was no joy. Like I could not feel joy from anything. You know. Uh, there, it was just constant bleakness and, you know, and for a lot of people, I think it would probably be a problem because I mean, the souls games are really heavy. Like when I was playing dark souls three, I actually had to like go out and buy overwatch. So that way I could play something that was a little bit light and colorful. Um, (laughs) something not quite so um, overbearing. Oh yeah. (laughs) Because yeah, it was like, this is like, you know, entropy world ending shit. I'm like, this is heavy, like all the time. 
Um, but for me, you know, I don't miss that life whatsoever. You know, I, cause all I can remember is how I almost lost everything because of it. So for me, when I play the souls games, you know, it, it reaffirms that, you know, it, what I already know, and that that's, you know, I have to fight the things and, you know, and it, it, and I think part of it, like if I was playing the games while I was using, cause I really didn't like, there are certain games that I stay away from just because, um, I was playing them at the same time I was using. So there's just, you know, connections to that. Um, but with souls, you know, it doesn't really take me to, ironically, like one of the darkest games I've ever played doesn't take me back to that terrible dark place in my life. Um, which I think just, you know, cause like, obviously when you're going through something like that, it is terrible, but once you make it through, you know, it's like beating that boss. Like it is, you know, it was not easy and there's nothing easy about it and i was not the best person in the world by any means like i had you know i did like terrible things you know um but i have changed and i'm working towards you know bettering myself and i'm making up for the things i did in my past and learning from it so when i go to that it's kind of a affirmative feeling because you know just like my character who's gone you know beat all these bosses they're still there and i'm still here and obviously i'm not this immortal being that's like i'm alive again but it's a connection um, to but that. yeah yeah very much and i mean and you know there are definitely i mean regardless of how like horrifying the idea of um that kind of resurrection you know i am not you know, I am a different person, but I still did those things in my past. So it's not like I'm trying to disconnect from like, you know, like the person I was is dead, but I'm still the person that did the things that were terrible. But I did make a choice. I woke up one day and I was like, I don't want to be this. You know, I don't want to hurt the people I love around me. So I made a conscious decision and, um, and I chose life instead of death. And, you know, I don't think dying is easy, but death can be an easy way out because, you know, you only have to die once. Um, but in order to keep living, you have to keep getting up every single day and you have to keep going. And I wanted to do the harder thing because I knew in the end that that would make me happy and that that would allow me to experience things I had, you know, and playing those games, it's like, you know, getting to see that mirror image of, what you can accomplish, you know, even if the world is ending and you keep moving forward, or the world might be ending, but you're not like, I don't care if the world's ending. I'm going to kick the soul ascenders ass, <laughs> you know? And, and I do think that like, cause I've, I've heard other stories of people who, you know, it really helped them through a hard time. And I think part of that is because of how dark those games are because you know, when a lot of the hardest things that we face, they do come from a very dark place. And I've never shied away from that, um, even before. Uh, you know, I've always been very intrigued by that human uh, feeling to struggle and to endure. And, you know, the Souls game definitely, it, it captures that bleak, crushing atmosphere that you know that sometimes our lives can feel like it you know so i think i think the games help a lot of people in a lot of ways and i think because it isn't bright and colorful that that's why it's more meaningful because 
it feels like that shit is going through, you know. With that in mind and with the way that these games have affected you and with the way that <clears throat> you've made these connections and then, you know, explored these worlds, what what do you think your ideal from software game in the future is? Like, do you, is there something that can follow up the the depth and breadth of Bloodborne or, or Dark Souls for you? And if so, like, what, what would that be? I mean, I... I do have, like, I mean, as much as, like, narratively speaking, a Bloodborne 2 would not make sense and it would just kind of be repeating the same thing, I would love to get to see Yarnum again. Like, I would love to just dive into that world all over again. But honestly, um, I kind of like it better when FromSoft does something that I can't predict and does something expected or unexpected. Because I, I feel like that's really when they shine, uh, you know, when they're given that creative freedom to really just do whatever they feel like doing. I'm really into it. You know, I I would I would really like it to be a Soulsborne type game, you know, the their tried and true method. And I'm kind of excited about Sekiro for that reason. Um, you know, I want it to be like dark and moody. Um, hopefully not another Dark Souls game. Not that I won't play another one if it comes out. I mean, clearly I will be first in line to get that game. <laughs> but like if they make a Dark Souls 4, please make it like in a world where darkness has happened because that fire has been going out for three games already like let it go <laughs> please just um, let the fire go out already <laughs> yeah like let a stiff wind take that thing out i'm so tired of like well for me not lighting that damn fire like i've let it go out three times now can it stay out <laughs> um so i mean honestly perfect world it would be you know them doing a weird experimental thing where they can just do whatever they want, build whatever world they want, um, and you know, and just make it dark and spooky and gritty and a little bit cerebral, you know, kind of like a spiritual successor for Bloodborne, but maybe not Bloodborne Two as much as I would love to see it. <laughs> yeah, my idea for for Bloodborne Two is always <clears throat> you can you can revisit the same themes and, and everything like that, but like I want to see these crazy weird cosmic beings just crash landing in different areas of the world. Like my, my dream is like old West bloodborne just because of the fashion. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, I'm just like wandering into a town, <clears throat> you know, abandoned saloon, nobody's around cactus, you know, on the side. And then just, just slowly discovering the, the deep lingering horror within is something that I think like, I just want, I, I don't necessarily want bloodborne too. Like, I don't want to see, like the future of Chromom. <laughs> I just want to see, I want more of yeah. that world. Like I just want more of this, please. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I actually think that would be a really great setting too. Like, yee-haw. Um, I, I would actually really like that. You know, I, I, cause they, I mean, uh, for a Japanese company, I really love their takes on like Western culture. I like that they took, um, you know, Catholic imagery, but applied it in a way that they knew it. You know, the churches in Yarnum, uh, they looked like Shinto shrines instead of, you know, uh, Catholic cathedrals and stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean, I just, yeah, I would love to see them take on, like, any world. And, like, when I first saw Sekiro, I was like, eh, I'm not really feeling it. But the more I see of it, the more I'm like, bring it on. Give me that good shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Dahlia, thank you so much for, for coming on this podcast this morning and, um, and, and talking about all of this stuff with us. I, I really, really appreciate your uh, kind of candidacy, candidness, I think is actually the word I'm looking for, and, uh, and, and being able to share these things. I really appreciate it. 
glad to see you. I mean, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. You know, I'm very honored that you asked. And, you know, thank you so much. Where can people um, find you on the internet should they want to do so? Okay. Um, you can find me on Discord, YouTube, and on Tumblr as Dahlia's Dark Side, all one word. Um, there's not much going on on my YouTube right now, but I do have some plans. So hopefully you'll see some posts from me coming soon. But yeah, that's uh, probably the best way to get a hold of me. And, you know, I just kind of post about like whatever, but there's always, there's always the souls born in there. Like, there will always be the souls born in there. <laughs> and you can find links to all of those in the show notes. So open up your podcast app now and go to your, to the Tumblr, or to the YouTube or to wherever and, and subscribe and all that stuff. So you can chat with Dahlia. Um, thank you again for, for guesting on the podcast. I very much appreciate it. Thank you again for having me. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That has links to the Patreon if you want to support the show directly. That has links to the t-shirt and other merchandise if you want to put a skelly on your belly. That also has links to uh, various places where you can rate and review the show, all of which is very much appreciated. Thank you, everybody, that's been listening and sharing the podcast and leaving reviews. It's all very, very much appreciated. The, The recent feedback on episodes has been really, really great and humbling almost because people seem to like it so much. So thank you very much for all of that. Uh, We'll be back next week with another guest. And until then, remember, don't give up skeleton. And we're good.